Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? It's been quite the what, two weeks since Russia has invaded the Ukraine and a lot has happened. We've had an influx of refugees from the Ukraine in Berlin, not just of Ukrainians, but people of all nationalities. And people have been very willing to help, which is very nice to see as always. And I don't know, there's, there's been a lot about how people talk about war, how people talk about refugees. It was also International Women's Day this week, which sort of, when you have these holidays in light of a crisis, it always kind of puts them into a weird perspective, at least for me. When you see all these companies talking about, you know, all their great women's initiatives and women leadership positions and companies use it for their own profitable gain. And then you see photos of mothers with their dead children or people fleeing war situations. It it puts the realities of being a woman in harsh contrast with the manufactured girl power narrative that we're kind of sold on a daily basis. And so this week, I've just been very preoccupied by what it means to be a woman in the world, existing as a woman in wartime, and just, I don't know, are things like International Women's Day banal and useless, or do they have a point to them? It's been a week. (laughs) It's been a week. I was watching one of the news channels, and I watch them all, all the time. I can't remember which one it was. On International Women's Day, they were interviewing a Ukrainian woman who had fled Mariupol, and I think she was in Lviv. She had decided to stay there. She was volunteering. A lot of women were volunteering. They were making bread for the soldiers, things like that, which actually you normally don't see when you see wartime images. You don't see like who is making all the bread to feed those soldiers, who is housing and sheltering and providing care for all of those internal refugees as well. But anyway, this woman got asked about International Women's Day and she also, like you, just felt like it was such a surreal question. And she said, yeah, you know, in previous years, it was a thing. I used to get gifts or flowers or something. She said this year, I also got a gift. It was a pair of socks because she fled basically without having anything. And it was still kind of a gift, but it was such a weird gift, which she was happy to get, but also... Yeah, socks became the biggest thing for her family and everyone was still in Mariupol, so she was not thinking about it. And the vast majority of the, I think the number as of today is 2.3 million refugees who have fled from the country. The vast majority are women and children. Loads of people are coming to Berlin It's really nice, like you say, to see everyone organizing and helping and stuff. But there have been reports from Hauptbahnhof about certain men who are trying to like speak to the women to maybe prostitute them and stuff like that because women are the most vulnerable in these situations. When we think about the women's groups that we're in in Berlin on Facebook and stuff, there have been some reports about women being shown flats by men, just dodgy deals of sex for rent and all this kind of stuff. And now you have a whole bunch of people coming in 
mostly women and children. Absolutely, you know, most people are just like helping out of the goodness of their heart and that's really good. But you also worry a little bit for the extra layer of vulnerability of all those people as well. On the subject of Women's Day, you posted something really nice on Women's Day on our Instagram. Yes, she refers to Women's Day as anti-patriarchy day and not as Women's Day. Also, sometimes people refer to it as feminist kampftag, so feminist fighting day and not as Women's Day. I personally like those labels a bit more, but I actually like the anti-patriarchy thing way, way more than any of the other labels because I think that a very common misconception to people who don't actively engage with or participate in feminism a lot of the time is is that feminism is about making women better than men but actually at the end of the day feminism is here to free us all from the patriarchy i think the misconception that the patriarchy only oppresses women is kind of incorrect because the patriarchy affects everyone whether you're a cis woman a cis man a trans woman a trans man non-binary like regardless of your gender it will affect you in some way shape or form like toxic masculinity is a product of the patriarchy i really like anti-patriarchy day it's so inclusive and like you say it's calling for a system change that oppresses everyone including men and also it makes it more than just like oh women are special give her some flowers or something no this is an actual political thing this is what we're standing for yeah i really like that i sometimes find things like women day kind of a, a hard pill to swallow a little bit because i think that especially in our society specifically in like western culture a lot of the times women empowerment which like empowerment what does that word even mean it's so overused that it means nothing anymore like empowerment what but women's empowerment or this girl boss narrative a lot of the time only presents one version of what it means to be a successful feminist a successful woman so for example in companies oftentimes you have all these initiatives to like further women in leadership positions and further your career which like i understand the thinking behind that there is an imbalance when it comes to women in leadership positions and women you know in c levels yeah like women aren't at the table they're not even invited to the table but I don't know, I feel like can capitalism and feminism exist within the same space? You know, you build this structure that inherently sort of oppresses women in a way, and if you're just trying to elevate certain women within that structure, that's not very feminist, especially when you think about that the majority of jobs such as like cleaning or caring and nursing jobs are done by women, and I feel like it kind of devalues the work of other women by saying you're only good, you're only right, you're only successful if you've made it to the top of this capitalistic ladder that is built on the back of women. And then there's also of course the whole racial aspect of it is that it is highly focused and oftentimes only examples of white privileged women who make it to the top. Well great, that's not the point. So, I feel like International Women's Day has the potential to be something great, but everything about it feels kind of wrong and not where it should be, and especially in the face of the Ukraine's not too far from Germany. And especially in the face of all of that, there's a war going on, you know, it's like Yemen is being bombed and I don't know if there's a part of me that's like, go ask the women in Yemen what International Women's Day is doing for them. 
people were sitting here having conversations about how we need to have more women in the sea level. Sorry, I have a lot of feelings. What you're saying actually has echoes that go all the way back to the original Women's Day. A woman called Clara Zetkin introduced Women's Day in Germany. She was active in the SDP. She organized Germany's first International Women's Day in 1911, following a similar event in 1907 in New York. But she also had something interesting along similar lines as what you were saying to say. She was deeply opposed to the concept of bourgeois feminism, as she called it, which I guess you're calling girl boss feminism. And she claimed that this was a tool to divide the unity of the working classes. She had a problem with the feminist movement because she saw it as primarily composed of upper-class and middle-class women who had their own class interests in mind, which were incompatible with the interests of working-class women, which is kind of what you're saying about, you know, women being bombed in Yemen and then women in, in corporations trying to get promotions or whatever and get a seat at the table, which, of course, they should have a seat at the table, I guess. But I guess it's the same sort of problem that she was seeing. So she actually saw feminism and the socialist fight for women's rights as incompatible because she saw feminism as mostly a bourgeois feminism. And in her mind, socialism was the only way to truly end the oppression of women. So she wanted to get everyone out of the house and to work so that they could participate in trade unions and others' workers' rights organizations to improve conditions and all this kind of stuff. I guess it's also like what we were saying about Women's Day versus Anti-Patriarchy Day. And even Clara Zetkin, who organized this for the first time, even she had these kind of questions, which is quite interesting. She actually, there's a little memorial to her. She's got a statue in the north, north of Berlin, but it's like right on the border of Brandenburg. And it's in the Clara Zetkin Park, which has a 3.9 rating on Google. And I read the reviews and it's just like, seems like a really shitty park. But anyway, she's there. She's been on it. It feels a bit ridiculous that the entire city is full of monuments to colonial men and monarchy men. And then this amazing feminist has one tiny statue. Oh yeah, she was friends with Rosa Luxemburg. Cool. And she also interviewed Lenin and asked him about the women's question. And she edited the newspaper or the publication of the SPD for many years. And this was at the beginning of the 20th century, so... She sounds really cool. Do yeah. we know what Lenin said? What was Lenin's response? Yeah, I can, I can find a link to what she said with Lenin and we can put it into the newsletter this week under this week's inspiration. I was reading about Susan B. Anthony, who sort of hailed as the founder of the suffragette movement in the United States. And I was thinking about how like all these things that are conveniently left out of her narrative, like for a fact that she was like super racist and would go on and on about how she didn't think that black people in the United States should ever have the vote. I'm like, well, that's conveniently left out of every sort of Susan B. Anthony girl boss narrative. That's the problem. A lot of the yeah, white feminists were very, very racist. I actually do not know what Clara Zetkin thought. She was exiled because of Hitler and the Nazis, and she died eventually in Moscow. But I'm not sure about her racial politics. Also, I do think you have to take into consideration that 
racial politics probably wasn't, or that type of racial politics probably wasn't at the forefront of everyone's mind in Germany. So it could very well be that she's never, there's no written or recorded statement of her opinion. The United States had just enslaved a bunch of people from Africa, and this was obviously then a huge topic, and still is to this day in their country. So a lot of the times we don't have any written records of what they thought about these that specific type of racial politics. True. Another cool fact about her is that Stalin went to her funeral when she died in Moscow. Stalin along with Lenin's widow. Interesting. I mean, not together. They didn't go together. They were the date. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't want to spread rumours about dead communists. That's not what this podcast is about. That's exactly what this podcast is about. <laughs> we spread rumours about dead communists. But what we were saying about progress and economics, the idea of getting more women in the C-suite, which would be just be good for everyone, of course, on some level, but the idea that getting more women in the C-suite is going to solve equality, it kind of reminds me of the fact that this week McDonald's has also pulled out of Russia. And when McDonald's first went into Russia... 30,000 people was just queued up for hours to pay twice the price of what they would get in, I don't know, communist canteen food for a McDonald's burger. And thus the golden arches theory of conflict prevention was born, this kind of idea that if countries were economically tied together enough that they prospered together economically they would not have conflict. They would be, you know, economically bound together. It was an idea put forth by Thomas Friedman in, I think it was in the New York Times in 1996. Thomas Friedman just gets everything wrong, but he still, because he's a man, has a platform and gets a column in the New York Times. He posited in his manly confidence, this is a quote, that no two countries that both have a McDonald's have ever fought a war against each other. So this was his theory, New York Times, got a column. And his idea was that like, by integrating the global economy, by empowering consumers, it kind of restricts the capacity for troublemaking and promotes gradual democratization and widening peace. This obviously turned out to be totally wrong because of NATO's bombing of Yugoslavia, the conflicts between India and Pakistan in 1999, when Israel and Hezbollah went to battle in 2006, Russia's 2008 war with Georgia. I was totally wrong. But the idea, I think, that we as Europe have also been doing, you know, with our gas and everything, and was also Merkel's idea, diplomacy through economics has kind of proved to be false. There was an article also about how the West kind of empowered Putin and the problems that it has now by going into Russia. Like, Russia took a lot of Western advisors and stuff once communism broke down. All of these advisors, all these people, everyone who went in there from the West just did it from a purely economical point of view. And all they did was just privatized all of the businesses. And they created the oligarchs and stuff. They didn't go in there from, like, I don't know, a value-based system where they decided what the constitution should be, what the checks and balances, they just westernized the country based on economics. 
this is not equalizing. And this is also a problem that we actually see in China too, right? Because China is like economically doing well. It's got all the stuff. It's still got McDonald's, which is mind blowing to me because China is also perpetrating the biggest genocide on the planet right now. But McDonald's is still there and it's not in Ukraine just because of social media, I guess, which is also a kind of problem that we have. Social media and consumer pressure can do things, but only when we see things and and when it's you know visible, does it count? And, and in China, why is McDonald's still in China? They make a lot of money in China, a lot more money in China than they do in Russia. And so if they really had any values, should they be operating in China? The same things kind of happened in China where you've got this wealth and this economic progress, but you don't have equality. And I think so far, we've confounded the two things totally stupidly. I mean, it doesn't make sense when I say we, that's not me, that's like Friedman and all these men. Let's just make it clear, it was not my fault. I did not go into Russia and say, dude, we just, just privatized all the oil. It's going to be fine. That's a great idea. Let's not ask the Russian people about, you know, how they feel about their, their gas prices and their companies. And like, obviously, there's so much potential for corruption there. Anyway, spoiler alert. It's not fine. <laughs> no, we fucked up somewhere along the way. And now, talking about oil, the US has now stopped with Russian oil and big oil companies in the US are having a field day because they get all that business. One of the things about Women's Day, the UN kind of decides a different theme every single year. And this year, it was really also about women and climate change. So on one hand, we've got all the women in Ukraine and this tragedy and the other thing that's going to happen is, you know, big oil, yeah, we'll go a bit more towards renewable energy and stuff. But I think it's going to be a big, as always happens in this disaster stuff, as Naomi Klein said, there's this disaster capitalism, right? So there's always like a lot of potential for in the rush of things and the need for our governments to provide us with energy. A lot of people are still going to make a lot of money. And that's really not good either, whether it's Russia or BP or whatever, it's still a lot of shit. There was a disgusting article on Yahoo Finance that said seven defense stocks to invest in as the Ukraine conflict heats up. And I read that and I wanted to throw my computer out of the window. Because to me, I'm like, this is what's wrong with society. This is what's wrong with our culture. This right here. It's so disgusting. It's still mind-boggling to me that people make money off of war. That's the reason why we're never going to have world peace. The reason why people actively bomb other countries or why they want certain conflicts to keep going because they make money off of it. That doesn't make you lose faith in humanity, then I don't know what will. Wow, we're really happy today. I mean, it's been a week. Maternity hospitals got bombed. The images are awful. There was a beautiful article, though, I have to say, in the Washington Post by Monica Hesse. And she writes about her reaction to seeing all these Polish train stations, all of these lines and lines of strollers that Polish women had left for Ukrainian women and the article is called what mothers know about war and what they know is when you're running with your children you're just going to grab your children and you're going to run 
there's no way through the rubble. I don't know if you've seen like people crossing the bridges in the rubble. There's no way you're going to push a stroller. And also you're going to hold your child really close to you. And they know that they've been carrying their children all this way. And that now they kind of need a stroller. She has a really nice, actually quite a lot of really nice paragraphs. And I, I would say everyone read it. But I'm just going to read two small paragraphs. Women in war have been forced to flee or hide or they have been raped. Or they have fled and hidden and then been raped. Their bodies have become territories on which battles are fought. They have been the family protectors. They have been charged with keeping children safe, using only these bodies as armour. The strollers on the train platforms in Poland are the artefacts of war we do not talk about. They are not the sorts of supplies mentioned when the Ukrainian president goes on a Zoom call with the American members of Congress to beg them for military aid, they are not negotiated in the language of sanctions and artillery. Typically, the leaders who start and end wars are not in a position to understand that prams are war supplies too. And yet mothers would know to ask this. Every mother would know. So here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, go to standwithukraine.live to find your nearest protest. They also have great resources to download media kits that you can distribute, print, send, all for free. Check them out. Thing two, a lot of things are being organized locally through Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups. If you look on our Instagram, which is the underscore miss underscore informed, in our highlights, Rena has compiled a whole list of all of these groups, especially if you're in Berlin. This is the place where you're going to be able to see every single place, every single group that you can donate to and volunteer with and get involved with and help in a variety of ways. And thing three, while it's been super lovely to see all of the engagement and volunteering efforts I think it's very important at this time to not forget that the Ukraine is not the only place in this world that needs help. And I think maybe we should all take a moment to think about why we're so willing to help and give all this media attention and time and energy to the Ukraine when there are genocides happening around the world that we don't even think twice about. So maybe use this as a moment to reflect and see if you can also help elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com We would love to hear from you.